You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Why are you here this morning? Are you here for a social gathering? That's not what you need. You need the Lord. Are you here because you have an empty place in your soul? Only the Lord can fill that. Are you here because you want to be closer to him? That's a good step. That's a good step. But you have to take steps further than that. The Bible says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh unto you. Do you have storms in your life? The Lord can calm those storms. Do you have questions? The Lord is the answer. I didn't say the Lord will give you the answer to all of your questions. The Lord is the answer to all your questions. We remember that reading through the book of Job. Job had a lot of questions. Why do good things, or why do bad things happen to good people? Well, first of all, my answer to that was, who can we call good? There is none good. There is none righteous. No, not one. But life is not about having answers to all your questions. It's about getting close enough to the Lord where you do not need the answers to those questions. You can just trust in him. That was not my message. That's just free. But the teenagers got that on my heart. Thank you so much for being here. 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse 1, you can also find this story in 2 Chronicles. You can also find this in Isaiah chapter 38. But this story of King Hezekiah, one of the greatest kings in Judah, I remember hearing this story often growing up in church. But uh, it wasn't until recently, I must admit, it wasn't until recently that I saw this practical application that I'm going to try to bring uh, forward to us today. What I want to do to kind of introduce this message here is to get us to know just a little bit more about Hezekiah and what's going on in his life. Hezekiah was only 25 years old when he began to reign. 25 years of age. To put that in perspective, I think I was, I think I was 25 when I first came here to the church. No, 24 when I first came here to the church. And I remember the way that some of you were looking at me, like, who is this child and how is he going to be a youth pastor to my teenagers when he looks younger than my teenagers? Uh, I remember a lot of times teenagers would come and they would come up to me after the service. I think it was Mia even after the first Sunday school. She's like, so are you a teenager here or something? People thought I was a teenager teaching the teenage class. Hezekiah was very young, 25 years old, king over Judah. But right away, he starts seeing some great victories, some great victories as king. The Bible says about Hezekiah that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Within the first three years of his reign, before he's 28 years old, he repaired and reopened the temple. He reinstated the Passover. He removed the high places. He broke down false idols. He cut down the groves of worship. He destroyed the brazen serpent, remember, that Moses made and lifted up in the wilderness. People started to worship it. And he called it Nehushtan, just some brass thing. He said, break it up. That's not there to be worshipped. When we put the symbol ahead of the symbolized, the symbol is no good. That brazen serpent was to point people to Jesus, not to point people to itself. He said, get rid of it. He destroyed that brazen serpent. He defeated the Philistines in battle, which is very easy for us just to read over. But the Philistines had been beating the Israelites and, and uh, the Judeans over and over and over and over again. And Hezekiah comes in 25 years old and is able to defeat them and put them back where they belonged. It was a huge victory. In the sixth year of his reign, so he's how old at this point? If he started at 25, this is the sixth year of his reign, how old is he? 
31 years old, he watched Assyria overthrow his brothers to the north in the split kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel, he watched Assyria overthrow them and carry them off into captivity. Assyria is the superpower at this time. A formidable enemy. Assyria is an enemy that took what they wanted when they wanted it, and there was really no hope to even slow them down unless you just gave them what they wanted. Perhaps they would show you mercy and just put you under tribute. Now to shorten a long story, that does happen at one point. In the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign, he's 39 years old now, Assyria invades Hezekiah's kingdom. This is a nerve-wracking experience. And the first time, he doesn't do things right. He tries to rely on Egypt, tries to make an, an alliance with Egypt rather than trusting in the Lord. And Egypt says, we're on our way. And guess what? Egypt never came. And so when he sees Assyria knocking at the wall of Jerusalem, he ends up stripping gold from the doors of the temple to pay off Assyria and say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Just let me pay you tribute and go away. And that's what he did. And Assyria takes the gold, but guess what? Assyria comes knocking anyway. Now there's two lessons there, again, that are not a part of my message, but it's okay. I love free stuff. Lesson number one, you always get into trouble when you rely on the world more than you rely on God. And number two, even when you give the enemy what they want, they're still going to come for more. The world may say, oh, I just want to gain access into your home because, man, I sounded northern saying that, access. The, <laughs> wow. The, the world may say, hey, I, ju I, just want, I just want you to watch this TV show. That's it. That's not it. It wants your kids. It wants to put that philosophy into your children so that one day they start asking questions. You're thinking, where did you get this from? Oh, it's from those little movies and those little shows that you watch in your home. Church, I'm going to say it over and over and over and over. There are some things that we allow into our home through a TV set that you would never allow literally in your home. You would never allow a man or a lady to come into your home and use the language that we watch on our TV. If somebody literally came into your home, a salesman, somebody, and they came into your home and started cussing the way that we watch on TV, you would say, get out of my home, you're not welcome here. But as long as it's through the TV, fine. Oh, I've got a lot of free stuff today. You would never allow a couple who is unmarried to come in and be all touchy-feely all over, but as long as it's through a TV, it's fine. You would never allow a rock group to come in and set up a stage in your living room and just jam out all day and sing about sex and sing about the opposite gender and sing about drugs and sing about alcohol and glorify sin. You would never allow that. But as long as it's through the TV or through the radio, or if it's Disney, if it's Disney, it's fine. Or if it's Christmas, it's fine. If I need to pray and you, you want to sneak out, that's fine. But we're here to hear the truth. I watch Disney. Ratatouille is still my favorite movie, probably always will be. But what I'm seeing is I'm seeing an agenda. And there are some movies my, my kids will start watching. Nope, turn that off. It's got an agenda. There's a hidden agenda behind it. They're not going to watch Onward, the first Disney movie with an openly gay character in it. No, they're not watching that. Do you know there's a lesbian kiss in The Force Awakens? Mm. 
They snuck that in on you. Now, don't go home and watch it and try to find it. It's there. There are so many movies I could name. I could name, oh, I just don't have enough time. One of, the, one of these days, I'm just going to have to have a message about the hidden agenda in Hollywood and how Christians just sit there with a remote. It's like we put our brains down and pick up a remote. We have to be smarter. Hezekiah tries to make an alliance with the world, and then he convinces himself, oh, if I just give the world what they want, they won't come back knocking, and here they come even though they have the gold of the doors of the temple in their hand, they come knocking again. So this time, Hezekiah makes the right move. He listens to Isaiah. He prays. He humbles himself before God. And you know the story. An angel of the Lord in one night kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, and they go running like a whipped puppy dog. Now listen, people didn't do that to Assyria. You didn't do that to Assyria. And here's a 39-year-old a 39-year-old king who just put a whooping on the superpower of the world. It was so bad, the defeat was so bad, the Assyrian king, uh, king's men staged a mutiny and assassinated him and put up another king because they were embarrassed at what happened. That great army, soundly defeated, and here's what I'm trying to bring out. All of this has taken place before Hezekiah even turned 40. As far as humanity is concerned, Hezekiah is a very successful, very young king. Would you agree with that? He's in the middle of what many people would call the prime of his life. If he is this successful at 39... What is he going to be when he's got some wisdom behind him? When he's got some more experience behind him? At 39 years old, he's whooping the Assyrians? He's got the momentum of victory behind him. He's got a vision of the future in front of him. But there comes a day. We don't know exactly what day. The Bible just says, in those days, Hezekiah feels a little pain in his body. And it just starts out small, but it, it starts getting worse and worse and worse and Suddenly, a sore comes up on his body. I don't know where it is. Let's say it was somewhere in his abdomen. I don't know. It doesn't matter. He has a sore that pops up. He's king. He's got access to all the medicine and all the greatest doctors, and they're looking at it. They say, we've never seen anything like this before. And even with medicine, it's getting worse and worse and worse, and that sore grows faster and faster, and one day it becomes a boil. Breaks open. It oozes. It starts getting infected. And it wouldn't go away. He begins to feel weak. The pain intensifies. His exhaustion grows constant. And one day there's a knock at the door. King Hezekiah, Isaiah is here to see you. Isaiah, his friend, that great prophet of the Lord, comes and walks in and sits next to his bed. And I want you to imagine the shock that Hezekiah must have felt. These are real people. I want you to imagine the shock when at only 39 years of age, after such great victories for God, when he has so much going for him, his past is successful and his future is bright, Isaiah tells him, thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. What? Set my house in order? What are you talking about? 
We read that, what is he talking about? He's 39. It's just a boil. He's the king. One of the most powerful men in the world. What are you talking about, set your house in order? He's still got his entire life ahead of him. Hezekiah, thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Hezekiah wasn't thinking anything about death. He didn't even have an heir to the throne. He didn't even have a son at this point. Hezekiah's not thinking about death. Why should he when everything's going so well? Why should, he when, why should he be thinking of death when he's in the prime of his life? But Isaiah couldn't be more clear. Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. I'm not saying this to be morbid or dark, but one of the most urgent duties of your life is to prepare for your death. One of the most urgent duties of your life is to prepare for your death. Now, I'm not trying to get you to go home thinking you got one foot in the grave and another on a banana peel. I'm not saying that. We've heard many voices over the past month, just the past month, forget the past year, many voices over the past month who have different messages and different outlooks over the current situation in which we find ourselves in today's world. Some people are saying this is the brightest time of America. Other people are saying we're basically all dead in five years. I understand that I am but one voice in a voice of millions that is crying for your attention. You may not know me very well. You may not trust me, and that's fine. I'm not asking you to trust me. I'm telling you to trust the Lord. You may not like me, and that's fine. I'm not here to be liked. I'm here to preach the truth. So hear me when I say, you had better be ready to meet your God. I believe this. I believe you do as well. And when I look out in the world today, Am I hopeful? Yes, but only because of this. If I didn't have that, I would not be hopeful. I would not use the word hope. I would not use the word happy. I would not use the word optimistic. I would not use the word peaceful. I would use words like volatile and fragile and broken. Set thine house in order. If you were to die right now, are you ready? Are you ready to meet God? And I'm afraid that that answer to this question for many of us is no. And I don't understand why. Because if your boss were to call you and say, I'm coming over for dinner tomorrow because I want to go over our plan for 2021, your house would look perfect. I FaceTimed my mom yesterday. It was Miss Tracy's birthday, and she wanted to say hello to, to Tracy and happy birthday. Thank you so much for taking care of my wife, by the way. I truly appreciate it. And mom is on the floor, scrubbing the floors and cleaning out the cracks and crevices. Why, mom? What's going on? Oh, we have company coming over. If your boss were to call you and say, I'm coming over Monday, I want to go over the budget for 2021, you would clean your house spotless. There would be one closet packed to the brim, I understand. But everything else would be, your boss isn't going to open the closet, it's fine. But it would be spotless. And you don't even like your boss. Just ask Brother Rusty. <laughs> but you get everything, you get everything just fine. What a shame that you could be standing before God before I finish this message today and you would not be ready. Am I accusing all of you? No, I'm just saying I'm, I'm going to throw a rock out and if a dog barks, I hit it. 
I'm, I'm going to ring phone numbers, and if, if yours is ringing, answer it. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet your God? He'll have questions for you that you won't know how to answer. He'll have expectations of you that you haven't fulfilled. He'll have steps of faith that he has asked you to take that you haven't taken. Hear me. God is ready to meet you. Are you ready to meet him? Have you ever walked into a work meeting before and you realized your boss was all prepared and you were not? We're going to stand before God someday and he's going to open up the books and he's going to have everything on us. He's going to ask us a question. We're going to say, I don't know about that. Really? I told you to prepare for this. Are we ready? And I think the answer to many, for many of us is no, because like Hezekiah, we're not even thinking about it. So Isaiah warned Hezekiah, and I wish to warn you, set thine house in order. Because we, we have much in common with Hezekiah. Believe it or not, we have much in common. I want to point out, first of all, our common certainty. There is something that is certain to come to us that was certain to come to Hezekiah. Thou shalt die and not live. That is a certainty. It may be 60 years from now, it may be 40 years from now, five years from now, five hours from now, five minutes from now. But thou shalt die. Thou shalt die and thou shalt die. This is a morbid message. And thou shalt die, 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 and not live. It is a certainty. Thou shalt die and not live. But I'm a successful businessman. It doesn't matter. I'm a mother of many children. It doesn't matter. I'm not even married yet. It doesn't matter. I've got plans for my life. It doesn't matter. I'm only a teenager. It doesn't matter. James asked for what is your life. It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. You are not invincible. Hebrews 9.27 says, it is, a, it is appointed, it is appointed unto men once to die. And you have no control over that appointment. You may think that you're young. You may think you're strong. You may think you have the best years of your life ahead of you. You may think, you know, I'm just getting a handle on this life thing. You may think death is nowhere near you. Hezekiah thought that also. It's very possible there are people in this room, you don't know it, but a sickness is raging in your body. It's very possible you don't know it, but you could be driving one day and somebody's being a fool and texting while driving, and no fault of your own, they come into your lane and you're done. When your appointment comes with death, there's no escaping it. Have you ever heard the story? There was a businessman in New York. He was walking the streets of Times Square. And he looked up, and there was death staring at him with a surprised look on his face. And the man scared to death. Pun. The man scared away from death, ran, bought a ticket to Australia, flew all the way to Sydney, Australia that night, got off the plane, and there was death waiting for him. He said, okay, I get it. I'm yours. I will not run. He said, but tell me, why, why did you look so surprised yesterday in New York when you saw me? Death said, I was surprised because I had an appointment with you today in Sydney, Australia. <laughs> 
Hezekiah, I'm sure, thought he was young, thought he was strong, thought he had his best years. When your appointment comes with death, you will either be ready or you won't. Now, I'm, I'm not just talking about being ready physically and financially, and certainly should, we should prepare for death physically and uh, financially. Certainly, our responsibilities are not buried with our bones, and we have to remember that. But more important than preparing physically and financially is preparing spiritually. Because death is not the end. We're Christians. We don't believe that death is the end. We don't have funeral services. We have graduation services. Death is but the doorway of one of two eternities. One eternity is with Jesus in heaven, and one eternity is without Jesus in hell. And that leads me to my next point, our common conclusion. Notice death is not the conclusion. Judgment is the conclusion. Death is just our common certainty. Judgment is our common conclusion. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Turn with me, stay in 2 Kings chapter 20. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians five. Verse ten. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his mom and dad's body. No, 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 no. In his body. That's her as well, by the way. According to that he hath done. Whether it be good or bad. Now notice something with me. Don't miss this. By the time you reach the judgment, it's done. Your verdict has already been sealed when you reach the judgment. This isn't a trial. Your life is the trial. This is the judgment. The verdict is done. You've had your chance to prepare. There's no more time. You cannot choose to become a better father at the judgment seat. You cannot choose to become a better mother at the judgment seat. You can't choose to be a better spouse at the judgment seat. You can't choose to be a better child at the judgment seat. You can't choose to be a better church member at the judgment seat, or a better friend, or a better brother. The, the rich man tried. Lord, send somebody and tell my brother so that they don't have to come here. It's too late. You should have been a better brother when you were alive. You can't choose to be a better witness at the judgment seat. You can't choose to be more faithful than the judgment seat. You can't choose to be more giving at the judgment seat. You can't choose to trust in Jesus at the judgment seat. It's too late. You trust in Jesus now. Jesus works today. And what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, when you get there and you try to say, oh, but, but my mom and dad were this. My mom was a, was a missionary. My dad was a Baptist preacher. 
or my dad was a Catholic priest, or my grandfather was this, my grandmother always prayed for me. God has no grandchildren. You will not ride on the ticket of somebody else to heaven. How many of you enjoy singing? How many of you enjoy singing? I love singing. I hate singing alone. I love singing, hate singing alone. If I can sing in a group, that's fine. I'll sing loud. I can kind of mesh with the other voices. And a lot of people think you're going to get to heaven someday and just sing with this choir. No, no, no. You will sing solo before God, and he will find every missed note. You have to trust him now. You need to do all those things now. You make those decisions now. That's setting your house in order because the judgment seat is too late. Listen to this. I dreamed that the great judgment morning had dawned and the trumpet had blown. I dreamed that the nations had gathered to judgment before the white throne. From the throne came a bright shining angel and he stood on the land and the sea and he swore with his hand raised to heaven that time was no longer to be. The rich man was there, but his money had melted and vanished away. A pauper, he stood in the judgment. His debts were too heavy to pay. The great man was there, but his greatness, when death came, was far left behind. The angel that opened the record his greatness could find. The gambler was there, and the drunkard, and the man that sold them the drink. With the people who gave him the license, together in hell they did sink. The moral man came to the judgment, but self-righteous rags would not do. The men who had crucified Jesus had passed off as moral men too. The soul that had put off salvation, not tonight, I'll get saved by and by. No time now to think of religion. At last, he had found time to die. And oh, what a weeping and wailing as the lost were told of their fate. They cried for the rocks and the mountains. They prayed, but their prayer was too late. Thou shalt die and not live. And after death comes the judgment. Are you ready? Are you prepared to meet God? And what are you waiting for if you're not? Thou shalt die and not live. And after death, you, you will stand before God, an almighty, holy, righteous God, and give an account for how you live this life. And if you're looking back and saying, are you trying to scare us? Yes. Yes, I am. Absolutely. Look in 2 Corinthians 5, 11. Knowing therefore... The love of God, we persuade men. God is love. Knowing therefore the grace of God, God is gracious. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Hebrews chapter 10, 30 and 31. The Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But listen to me. It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to fall into the hands of the living God. You can place yourself in them. In fact, there are two people. There are two people in this room. One type are those who place themselves in the hands of the living God. The second type of people are the ones who will one day fall into his hands. When you run to the hands of the living God, he becomes your savior. 
When you fall into the hands of the living God, he becomes your judge. You can run from God your whole life. You can choose to follow your heart. You can ignore God's word. You can laugh at God's preachers. But one day thou shalt die and not live. And you will give an account to God. I'm just asking, are you ready? And if you're not, take God's advice. Take Isaiah's advice. Take your pastor's advice this morning. Set thine house in order. That's our common commandment. That's not a suggestion. Set thine house in order. Are you ready for God to judge your marriage? The stories that I hear of Christian marriages, 50% of Christian marriages end in divorce. 50%. You treat each other like junk? Sir, that's your wife. That's your bride. Be honest with yourself. She is the best part of you. I love you men, but most of us wouldn't be worth killing without our wives. And look at how we treat her sometimes. I hear of Christian marriages who go for days without talking to each other. Without even talking to each other. Because I want to prove a point. Point proven, you're foolish. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. That doesn't mean my anger will stay through the night. No, you don't go to bed without getting things right with each other. Husband and wives that withhold themselves from one another? You're not ready. Are you ready for the Lord to judge your family? When you spend no time with one another, fathers, you provoke your children. Mothers, you provoke your children. Children, you disobey your parents. I preached that in the chapel the other day. And when you read in Romans chapter 1 and you read in, an, in another portion where God is listing off all these horrible sins, immorality and fornication and infidelity and all these things, right in the middle of both of them, disobedient to parents. How dare you go home and disobey your parents? Where would you be without them? I'll tell you where. You'd be in a gutter somewhere. You'd be obedient to your parents. Families who live one way at church and then go home and shut the, flip, shut the switch off. You're not ready. Are you ready for God to judge your devotion to him? Do you read your Bible? Do you study your Bible? Do you pray? No, really, pray. Do you pray? I'm not talking about a quantity of time. You realize five words in earnest prayer can do more than three hours of unfurled prayer. But do you pray? Do you read your Bible? Are you ready? We're going to do a little exercise. Everyone take a deep breath and hold it. Ready? Some of you have already given up. <sighs> okay, you can let it go. How long would you last? How long would you last? Some of you are beat red right now. Here's, here's just a little life lesson. You can't live without breathing. You know, in, out. How do you to live your spiritual life? 
without breathing. Reading your Bible is breathing in. Prayer is breathing out. One is not more important than the other. You need both. How are we going to live a spiritual life without breathing? Read your Bible and pray. Are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to judge your giving? The Bible says Jesus sat over against the treasury and he saw what people threw in. And here come the rich men. <laughs> Benjamin, Benjamin, Benjamin. And here comes a little lady with two mites. She gave all she had. Jesus sees that. Are you ready for God to judge your priorities? Are you ready for God to judge your work ethic or your faithfulness? Forsake not the assembling of thyselves together as the matter of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do you not see the day approaching? Is our house in order or is it a mess? Heed God's warning while there's time. Set thine house in order. Now, in order to move on, I have to address the two objections that I hear the most to this type of message. Objection number one, I don't need to set my house in order. I have time. That's objection number one. I'm sure Hezekiah thought that too. It's just a boil. I'm 39 years old. As soon as I get back on my feet, I'm going to take it to the Assyrians again. Set thine house in order. Thou shalt die and not live. No wonder he turned to the wall and cried like a baby. Nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks, today's the day I'm going to die. I feel it. I just feel it. And you may say, well, that's no way to live. The Bible answers back, that's no way to die. I'm not saying to live your life wanting to die. I'm saying live your life ready to die. Live each day of your life from God, completely and only for God, so that when it's time to go to God, you will be ready to judge, be judged by God and spend forever with God. People have this idea that the devil goes around and tries to convince everybody that God doesn't exist. That's not true. Even the devils believe and tremble. This idea that the devil goes around, there is no God, there is no God. He doesn't do that. It's not true. Only people are foolish enough to say there is no God. Not even the devil is that dumb. People have this idea that the devil tells people there is no judgment to come. That isn't true. The devil doesn't deny that there's a God. The devil doesn't deny that there's a judgment to come. Even if he did, you know better than that. Everyone who believes in God knows there must be a reckoning. There must be a day of judgment. No, the devil has dragged millions of people to hell. Not by telling them there is no God. Not by telling them there is no judgment to come. But telling them there are those things, but you have time. Knowing that one day you will run out of time. That is what he does. One day thou shalt die and not live, and you will stand before God unprepared. And you may scream, I'm not ready, just give me one more day. You'll scream that for all eternity. Nothing you say or do in death can change what you have said and done in life. Time is not in your control. Your decisions are. Choose wisely and choose now. One objection, I don't need to set my house in order, I have time. Second objection, 
I can't set my house in order. There's not enough time. I want you to notice the first four words of Isaiah's message to Hezekiah. Are we still in 2 Corinthians? We can go back to 2 Kings chapter 20. Notice the first four words of Isaiah's message to Hezekiah. Oh, I'm in Matthew. Not even close. Wow. Here we go. What are those first four words that Isaiah says to Hezekiah? Thus saith Lord. Church, those first four words not only showed Hezekiah that what Isaiah was saying was extremely important, it showed Hezekiah that what he was saying was completely possible. God doesn't command us to do something that is not possible. God's commandments are rarely, rarely pleasant for sinful men. They are never popular, but they are always possible. If you have five seconds or five decades to live, it makes no difference. Everyone who hears God say, set thine house in order, you have time to do it. You're hearing it this morning. You have time to do it. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. God has a future for those who obey his word. If you have lived every moment of your life up to now unprepared, you can leave here prepared to meet God. If you came into this place unready to meet God, you can leave here ready to meet God. If you came here this morning with your heart wrong with God, you can leave here with your heart right with him. You may think you're too far gone. You may think there isn't enough time to get right with God, that even a thousand lifetimes wouldn't undo the things that you have done or would prepare you to meet God. You may think there's no hope to set your house in order. My marriage is hopeless, you may say. You may say, my family's broken. My devotions are shallow. They always have been. My joy is gone. My joy has been gone for a long time. I've heard people say, my soul is too wicked to save. You don't know Jesus. You don't know how incredible our God is. You don't know how much he loves you. There's a man named Saul. That man was a murderer and good at it. He was a blasphemer. He compelled others to blaspheme. He tortured people until they recanted their faith. If they didn't recant their faith, he stood at their judgment seat and spoke against them so that they would be put to death. Jesus saved that man. And one day, he wrote these words, I am now ready. I a murderer, I a blasphemer, I a torturer of Christians in the past. I am now ready to be offered for the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Now let's take a step back. If your house is not in order, you will not love his appearing. I loved my dad when he came home. He worked in the city. He had a camera shop back in the days. He developed all the, all the film. And I could hear that garage. Dad was home. And I wanted to play catch with him, or I 
wanted to shoot BB guns with him or shoot squirrels with the BB guns with him or do something. I loved when dad came home unless I had gotten in trouble. If I was in trouble, I didn't want to see dad. I would be at home with mom and she would send me to my room. One day she sent me up to my room and she spanked me and I turned around and said to my precious mother, that didn't hurt. And she said, all right. Wait until your dad gets home. That was 10 in the morning. Like, just kill me now. My whole day's gone. He doesn't get home until 6. Just... And there came dad. I didn't want to see him that day. Some of you, these words behind me, this is not a comfort to you. Because your house isn't in order. But thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order. Why? Thou shalt die and not live. Set it in order today. Is the house of your marriage, your family, your devotion, your giving, your witnessing, your service, priorities, are they in order? Is the house of your soul in order? When Jesus comes for his church, is he coming for you? Will you see him at the judgment seat or the great white throne? <laughs> we run into this all the time down here. People who know Jesus, but Jesus doesn't know them. I knock on doors every single week. Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? I'm Catholic. I'm Johnny. Doesn't mean anything. I'm Baptist. I'm Johnny. What you're saying, when you stand before God and you say, Lord, let me in, I'm Catholic. Lord, let me in, I'm Baptist. Lord, let me in. I was a deacon. Lord, let me in. I gave to charity. Lord, let me in. I was a good person. Lord, let me in. I never killed anybody. The Lord doesn't speak sinner. All he hears is unrighteous. Unrighteous. And he'll look to his son, and his son will look in the book and say, I don't see him. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. And as the angels come and bind your soul and throw you into that bottomless pit, you will scream, give me more time. Your time is now. Christian, if you have given your soul to him, who else is going to be in heaven because of you? We live in a lost and dying world who will never know if you do not tell. Set thine house in order. Is your house in order? Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.